Welcome to the Awakening Church Podcast. We pray this message encourages you and provides the hope and light of Jesus Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, church. Hello. Uh, And thank you to Ryan for that incredible introduction, except for the last part where I felt like he was trying to help me make friends around here. Um, He's not the slyest wingman, but it's okay. I don't blame him because I don't think there really is a great transition to talking about mourning and grief is there. Um, If it's your first time joining us for this series, what we're doing as a church is we're taking a large portion of our summer uh, to look at the Beatitudes or the introduction, the first part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, And in the Beatitudes, what it's often called, this introduction portion of his sermon, uh, what Jesus does is he pronounces these blessings on people like uh, the poor in spirit, uh, the merciful, the meek, and the mourning, and so on. And so far in this series, what we've learned uh, is that when Jesus says that you are blessed, that those people are blessed, what he is saying uh, is that those who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who are mourning, uh, that they're actually fortunate. He says you're blessed, you're fortunate. Um, And then they should actually be congratulated, as Nass taught us. Um, Why? Because these people that are seemingly in a disadvantaged position, uh, that they're actually in an advantaged position. Um, And as we've said this whole series, the Beatitudes, what they are not is they are not a list of to-dos or rules to live by. Rather, we should see them as pointing out these, uh, or uh, as signposts, pointing out the qualities uh, of a life of those growing in their relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they are not a set of virtues uh, because they're simply not. They are not this list of things that Jesus gives us that we might try to see it and try to emulate in our own lives. Um, In fact, it really wouldn't even make sense if we looked at all these blessings and tried to to make them, uh, just try to do them. And it would actually make the least amount of sense uh, if we tried to make a virtue out of Jesus' words for us that we're looking at this morning when he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Because you don't just muster up mourning as a character quality, right? Um, I think we need to pause for a second. And I know actually hearing that, uh, that those who are mourning can be congratulated is actually a really jarring thing to hear. Uh, Especially if you walked in here this morning with a grieving heart, then you especially know just how impossible it sounds for you to actually be fortunate um, or to be considered blessed right now. And we want to we wanna recognize that. So let me start with a story. Uh, I was almost 19 years old when I got this call from my mom. Uh, I was a freshman at San Jose State, and I had not even two months earlier uh, started following Jesus. Uh, I, just, I had just become a Christian. I met Jesus, all those things, right? Not even two months earlier. And on the phone, uh, my mom told me that her younger brother, my uncle, that he had uh, suffered a severe medical emergency. And the long story short is that he would soon pass away in the hospital from this host of complications, um, and, and, and he would pass away in the hospital. And as you could guess, that news, it, it shocked our entire family. It was sudden, 
It was unexpected, uh, and it was heartbreaking. Uh, He would leave behind a wife and four children, and I remember just uh, taking in that news and being in this space where it's not knowing what to say, um, but at the same time having this tension and knowing that we had all just, our family had experienced this great tragedy and feeling like something had to be said at the same time. And I don't remember exactly word for word what I said, probably because I've been trying to block it out of my mind. Um, But I remember texting my mom a couple hours later, something to the effect of, don't worry, God is in control. And she didn't respond back. And you know, when I look back at this story uh, and I think of it, and you're probably feeling the same way, it's just like hearing that it's like, oh, like how unhelpful is that for someone grieving their younger brother uh, to be offered something like that? Um, And yeah, as I reflected on this moment, uh, I think this is often what we think is the Christian thing to do in times of hurt and suffering, right? We we try to minimize pain, uh, and we try to give quick answers. Uh, At least that's what I felt like I had to do in that moment. And I share this not not to shame or even to shame a younger me, but rather to acknowledge that I think we've all been in that position before where someone was hurting, someone was grieving, and all we could do is offer this like pithy little statement or, um, or, or been on the receiving end of one. And these things, trying to minimize pain or offer these cliches, what do they do? They do anything but bring comfort to those that are hurting. And it's really because I think in in American Christianity, this faith that we have all inherited on this part of the world hasn't been given great models of grief. And that's the starting place for many of us today, is not when it comes to grief and mourning, especially living in this time and place and history and our value for trying to take the path of least resistance. um, We don't know what to do with the brokenhearted. We don't know what to do with the broken heart when it's us or when it's someone near us. Pain in us or around us, it makes us feel really uncomfortable. Or at least that's true for me. Right? Like Ryan said, I love to live in the like joyful, half-class, full side of life, and I absolutely love being there. <laughs> but this story with my uncle, it's just one small like picture of how difficult it's always been for me to engage in grief. And maybe you're like me. And it's hard to engage with grief and sadness, at least for myself, because it's really hard to believe Jesus' words when he says that we could be blessed in our hurting, in our mourning. Right? We, We see that pain or feel that little tinge of discomfort. And what I do, what many of us do, is we we try to make it go away as soon as possible. So what do we do instead? Uh, we offer those trite and shallow platitudes like it's going to be okay or everything happens for a reason um, or if you're like me, God is in control. And we do this because it, it's, it's simply impossible uh, for us on our own to believe that, that the morning can really be congratulated and be blessed. That those who are sad and depressed and filled with sorrow, that those are actually the people that are fortunate right now, or as Chris said last week, might be headed on the right way home. But how can this be? How is this true? Um, Let's talk about mourning for a second, right? Mourning, it it isn't just about death, though I know that's the first thing that many of us think about when we think of grief and mourning. We think about death, but it's not just that. 
uh, one writer, uh, David Kessler, he's this, he's this uh, writer who devoted all of, uh, much of his life's work to, to grief uh, and pain, um, something I would never do if that hasn't been clear yet. Um, and he did this after he would lose one of his sons to an accidental drug overdose. And in all of his study and research and writing, he says this on the problem of mourning. This is all in your notes. He says, whatever our grief is, it's not really about grief, but about change. What kind of changes? He goes on to say the changes that we didn't want to happen. A little bit more on mourning. The, the Beatitudes, um, what I've been forced to, to learn and appreciate in seminary, uh, they were originally written in the Greek language. Um, and biblical Greek, it's this rather like precise and technical language. And the word that Jesus uses for, for mourning is this word pentheo. Um, so if you were kind of to read it back, it, it kind of sounds like um, basically Jesus saying, blessed are those who are pentheo. And this word that Jesus uses for mourning, um, I think is really important for us to understand today is best explained by this guy named William Barclay, this, this biblical scholar, a name that we've thrown around this uh, awakening a bunch of times. Um, and he, he defines pentheo this way for us. It is defined as the kind of grief which takes such a hold that it cannot be hidden. It is not only the sorrow which brings an ache to the heart, it is the sorrow which brings the unrestrainable tears to the eyes. So mourning, right, it, it isn't just about death. It's really revolved around loss. And loss, it can include many things. Uh, it, it can include things like terminal illness, uh, abuse, disability, unemployment, divorce, the crushing of a dream, and so on. Or even some good things, right? There's a, there's a special kind of loss in things like sending off a kid to college or graduating high school. And church, uh, as we hear all this and think about mourning and loss, uh, we have to remember something. That, that loss uh, is just that. It's loss. There's, there's no sense in trying to compare or quantify loss um, because each thing that's put in front of us uh, stands on its own. Each thing that's put in front of us to mourn and to hurt for um, stands as its own unique thing uh, for, for us to, or to inflict some special kind of wound um, to whoever's experiencing it. Maybe we're suffering a grief from tragedy uh, or from someone doing something to us um, or transitions in life that just happen or relationships that just shatter, whatever it is, is we all agree that all of them are different losses. They're simply different, but all can be very painful. And on top of that, mourning stands kind of unique in all of the Beatitudes uh, because it is inevitable. Uh, sooner or later, everyone must pass through mourning. Uh, it's a place of disadvantage, right? All those things that we talked about, it's a place of dis disadvantage that everyone who lives gets a chance to experience. Uh, some of us just to, uh, choose to just deny our grief. And some of us, that's me, <laughs> Uh, and the problem with denial is we lose that sense of grief that it actually reminds us uh, that there was once something special that we deeply loved and enjoyed. And when we deny it, we, we forget that. And denial, it actually puts off something that should be faced, that we'll have to face eventually. 
And what happens when we dodge pain rather than confront it, we refuse to see that something uh, terribly difficult has happened and it cannot be reversed. And the unwillingness to face that pain, um, at least what I've learned, or I've learned uh, many times, uh, I've learned it's not a neutral thing. It's not a net zero thing when we choose to avoid our pain. It comes at a, at a price, a steep price actually. Ultimately, what it does is it diminishes the capacity of our souls to grow bigger uh, in response to pain. Uh, it, and it comes at no surprise that, that when uh, we engage grief and mourning uh, in a poor way, that those who are hurting can actually choose to grow bitter, uh, to grow distant, uh, to grow cold, or, to, or, or can even just try ending up to hurt others well, when we don't engage mourning and grief well. But when Jesus declares a blessing on those who mourn, what Jesus indicates is that grief is actually a nor- or, or, or is an expected part of the Christian experience. And Jesus knows that, that grief, it comes for us all, and that it should actually not be denied. And in his pronouncement of blessings, he's saying that there's an opportunity for you and for I to posture ourselves differently and receive mourning differently uh, than might be human, like humanly instinctive. In preparation for today, uh, one of the small books that I picked up was written by this theology professor from Whitworth University, and his name is Jerry Sitzer. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with his heartbreaking story, uh, in the fall of 1991, uh, as his family was returning home from this weekend trip, um, a drunk driver would strike his minivan. And as a result, he would end up losing his mother, uh, his wife of his wife of 20 years and a four-year-old daughter. Really tough book. Um, but what he would end up doing a couple years later, he would publish this, this little book on grief called A Grace Disguised. And in it, he asks this question, and I think it's a question that Jesus is putting in front of you and I today, is, is it possible to live in and even be enlarged by loss, even as we continue to experience it? Are those who are depressed or sad really more fortunate than those who are not? Right? He's referencing the beatitude there. And in this book, he goes on to say that it is how we respond to loss that matters, that response will largely determine the quality, the direction, and the impact of our lives. So this question uh, that uh, this professor puts in his book is the same question that as we read the Beatitudes, Jesus puts in front of you and in front of me today. And it's how are we to live in our grief? And to examine that, there's probably no better way uh, than letting Jesus paint that picture for us. Uh, and what we'll do is we'll look at three snapshots, three snapshots of, of Jesus in our scriptures um, when he was in deep sorrow and pain. And together what we'll do is we'll see how the tears of Jesus invite us into something surprising and maybe even beautiful in our own tears. Um, so church, let's look, at, uh, let's look to Jesus' life and the three griefs of Jesus. 
Um, John 11.35 is famously known as the shortest verse in the Bible, um, or at least that's true in English. And uh, if you're unfamiliar, what it says is Jesus wept. And uh, it comes in the middle of this story uh, right after Jesus hears of his friend Lazarus dying. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, um, Jesus comes and he hears the news of, of Lazarus passing away and he just bursts into tears. Jesus wept. Um, and he wept simply at the news of his friend's death. And um, as, he, as, he, as he cries, as he weeps, as the tears come, uh, the people who are witnessing this moment, they see Jesus' tears uh, and they start to realize just how deeply Jesus loved his friend. If you don't know the story, the story goes on, right, to Jesus then doing this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. But the thing for us to notice is that even though Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead to bring him from the grave, Jesus was still deeply grieved at the news of his friend's passing. The tears still burst forth. And the question for this verse is we sh- that we should be asking is, is, why is Jesus still so sad? You know, I've, I've encountered some really bad theology out there, partly some of the things maybe I've believed at some points in my life, uh, that says stuff like we have a weak faith uh, if, if we're sad, or if we are not doing well for unwell, it's because we don't trust that, that God is going to do something good despite the difficulty, or, or even that God is indifferent to the pain and suffering in our lives because it'll, it'll serve some greater purpose at the end of it all. But at the end of the day, all those things, they're, they're, they're lies. Um, maybe they're half-truths. Um, at best, they're a, a very big misunderstanding uh, of the way that God engages suffering in our world. You see, Jesus, he mourns death. He mourned this death because death in any form uh, is a reminder. It's a reminder that this is not how it should be. That death, it was never meant to be this way. Death, it was not part of God's, uh, God's intention for the world. Uh, he didn't call it good or blessed in creation. So when Jesus experiences this loss and this heartache of a friend, he weeps. Not because he lacks faith, um, simply because he knows that la- and, um, and knows what's going to happen. He still, he still cries. He still weeps. He knows that Lazarus will be, be alive again. He knows my Uncle Ben is in a better place. He knows that God is still in control. But yet, but yet Jesus is still sad because he is reminded that this is not how it should be. That, that death was never part of the plan. So that pain you and I feel in loss, either when a loved one passes uh, or that ache uh, that lingers after a very difficult divorce in the family, uh, whatever that hard loss is, that, that death, that strife, that disunity, it's all a reminder that this was never supposed to be this way. So how do our souls grow in that morning? Well, we're given an opportunity to grow in intimacy. And what better show of intimacy is there in friendship for one friend crying for another for any reason, just like Jesus uh, wept for his friend Lazarus. 
the news of someone passing, if you've ever experienced it, has this kind of weird way of actually bringing a little bit of clarity. Um, or really any kind of loss does that, right? Any really hard and difficult loss does that for us. Maybe like moving to a city um, or, or being at the end of being part of some beloved team. When we lose something near and dear to us, something can happen. Uh, we can become a little bit more focused on the things that actually really do matter to us. Uh, we can take in and appreciate better what remains. Uh, we can feel the permission to shed whatever uh, is unnecessary um, and let go of those things that, that are just daunting. And what happens is our relationships, they can, uh, or our relationships with those around us, they can become far more intentional and cherished, and, our inti- and what happens, our intimacy grows, and death often does that for us. So when we mourn any loss, but especially when it comes to death, uh, it reminds us that there was something beautiful to love, that when we try to avoid mourning, uh, we forget that the things that are gone were actually, they were worthy of being cherished and appreciated. And each devastating loss, the loss of a job, the moving away of a dear friend, the death of a dream, uh, each of these losses, they force us to sit in this uncomfortable place where we're longing for a past that is no longer and hoping for a future that is not yet here. So in the morning, uh, in mourning is kind of in the middle of that, not in the past uh, and not yet in the future. It's in the present where our grief is. But it's in the present where we start to be gifted with this growing sense of intimacy that we might might have this growing sense uh, with the world around us. The second thing that Jesus mourns comes in uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. Uh, And I'll read uh, 41 for you. Um, In it, it says, and when he, Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And then he, what happens from there is he goes into this kind of little monologue, uh, mourning the impending fate of the people of Jerusalem. Why? It's because uh, God had come in the flesh, and uh, these people, they rejected him. And um, Jesus, he's, he's, he sees their impending doom, and he just, he weeps. They rejected God and his message. So he saw the state of the people of Jerusalem, and he just burst into tears, What he did is he saw the world and knew that they had rejected God, uh, that their way of living was headed for for certain death and destruction. So the second thing that Jesus mourned was was the state of the world. He felt that the suffering, he felt the suffering that the world was enduring because they had turned away from from the loving and protector God. And, And what did it do as he thought about all that, all that it was doing? It brought him to deep sorrow again. Um, on this, on, on thinking about this, one commentator, he actually rewrites the beatitude this way. Blessed are those who are desperately sorry for the sorrow and the suffering of this world. And church, this is a reminder, if you are to follow Jesus, if, if you are to, um, to be his disciple, to apprentice under him, what has to come, what actually naturally comes with it is this spirit of caring, This beatitude, it tells us that those who care intensely for the sufferings and for the sorrows and for the needs of this world, 
that, that those who feel that mourning for all those things, that, that you are fortunate, that you uh, are in ad, an advantaged position, that you should be congratulated. So the second thing that Jesus is inviting us to grow in, uh, to grow in, in our mourning, is our empathy. And it only takes a moment, right, uh, uh, on the news cycle, um, on Twitter, or just walking around uh, this place that we call home in the Silicon Valley um, to see that brokenness, it's rampant in our world. It's really easy to find brokenness and heartache. Uh, and it's actually really easy for us to ignore that, to ignore the lack of justice and righteousness uh, around us. Um, these two things that the Old Testament really like upholds as a, as a major tenant as a Sedekon Mishpat, justice and righteousness. Uh, we tend to become really hardened when that is absent, uh, in, or when that's absent around us. Hardened to the things like there are uh, like 10,000 people who are without a home in our city, or there may be 20,000 children, 20,000 children who are considered to be food insecure in Santa Clara County. Morning. It's actually this really good and crafty barometer um, to tell us about what is really important to us. Uh, I know I said we shouldn't compare losses, um, but uh, in mourning, our empathy should come into question, right? Um, Because when uh, we care so deeply about maybe a sports team losing and having no clue about the hurt in our own backyard, uh, there's something, there's a disconnect there. So whatever we mourn, whatever it is, it it gives us the opportunity to have this heart that resembles uh, the heart uh, of God for his creation, for his people. The last picture we have of Jesus' grief, it's found in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, where Jesus mourned the weight of sin. Uh, What would happen is Jesus goes to this place um, ahead, uh, to, he would go to this place to pray ahead of his eventual betrayal, uh, crucifixion, and death. And the Gospel of Matthew tells us this as, as Jesus is there, says that he is quote unquote very sorrowful. Um, so sorrowful, um, so much tears, so much hurt, so much weeping to the point that another Gospel writer um, described Jesus as basically sweating blood. So this last picture for us today uh, of Jesus in agony and pain is of this, uh, of Jesus in such despair um, that, that he, would, he would be sweating blood. Um, and it should come into question uh, as we hear this. Have you ever thought about how other people's sin affects you and how heavy that is for you? Uh, because, right, the, the thing about sin and evil is that it rarely affects just one person. Um, and maybe that's the reason why you've come in mourning or grieved today. But as we see this at what sin does to Jesus, not only does evil affect Jesus, and this is a mouthful, I get it, um, but even the fact that evil affects us affected Jesus to such a deep place of hurt and pain. Uh, because he saw the effects of sin, what it would do to you and to me, and that it would uh, leave us helpless in dire need, um, in need of help. 
and seeing how severely the weight of sin grieved Jesus, it actually invites us to grow in something else. It invites us to grow in our trust. Why? Is because we can trust a God who knows pain, who knows pain intimately. Um, Charles Spurgeon, another smart dead guy, (laughs) he says it this way. A Jesus that never wept could never wipe away my tears. Have you ever noticed that in our faith, uh, we know a God that is well acquainted with hurt, with pain? We've just looked at three instances with Jesus, right? The son being grieved. Uh, A couple months ago, uh, we had this whole sermon series um, on how uh, the father was grieved by the leaving of the prodigal. In our scriptures, they also tell us that we have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit. And it's been reflecting on this and thinking about that truth, that there's something special in knowing that the triune God knows hurt like we know hurt. That the God of all knows pain like I know pain. That in our suffering, it's much easier to trust a God that also knows suffering. So this is all well and good, right? That that our grief can grow us in empathy and intimacy and trust. However, uh, this beatitude, Jesus Jesus also offers us comfort, right? He he doesn't just say blessed are the morning. He, He offers a promise. But where does that comfort come from? Does that mean that we will someday Uh, be comforted when Jesus comes back and he brings justice and righteousness where uh, he reunites all of creation. Yes, that's part of the promise. That is a future comfort that we get to experience. But there's also a comfort that Jesus offers to you and me right now, today. And that comfort, it comes from presence, Um, The Psalms tell us uh, something that I've held really near and dear to my heart, uh, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And I probably best understood, uh, probably best understood this in the midst of mourning a few years ago. Um, Ari, um, Ari's my wife. (laughs) Ryan didn't say anything about me having a wife. Here's proof. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was a few years ago. Uh, when, we, when I started to understand, like, the comfort of presence, um, Ari and I, we, we walked into this cafeteria, uh, into, this, uh, into this space, into this church, um, just, uh, just a couple days. Uh, just a couple days after hearing the loss of a child we were expecting. And uh, so what we learned, right, just a couple days prior is that we would experience the hurt of miscarriage. And just a few days after that really hard news and unexpected loss, uh, we came into this space towards the back, uh, and much like right now, just tears flowed from our faces. Uh, and we sat towards the back in the presence of uh, our church uh, as our church led us in worship, and we just cried. The tears just came. And, you know, there's 
something in that moment. There's something about being real and sad uh, in the presence of our community as the way Jesus modeled for us that, that felt right, that was right. Uh, and though we were grieved and distressed and in tremendous pain, the, the presence of our church, it still helped bring comfort somehow. The pain was still there, right? The, the tears still came. Yet the comfort of God came in his people. And the presence, it, it didn't just stop there, right? It, I'm not saying that only the presence of God is on a Sunday morning when we're singing songs and people are offering their sympathies. But what, what we found out was the presence of God went uh, way past that. It came in the form of wordless hugs the next few months. Uh, and people bringing us meals and gifts uh, and cards from dear friends and prayers from pastors. Uh, it was in that season that we got to experience the comfort from God's people. And it's also in that season where I started to truly believe something, that we cannot confuse God's silence for God's absence. Uh, it felt like silence uh, for me uh, to have to go through uh, something so heartbreaking, right? Uh, it, it felt like silence that what we thought our family was going to look like uh, was no longer. It felt like silence because it just simply hurt so much. But in that silence, God was never absent as I look back, what, what I got to experience is that God, he actually came to meet me, to be present in my life, and to offer comfort through his people. And what Ari and I needed uh, in our weeping wasn't answers, right? Wasn't these uh, cliches, but what we needed was people to weep with us. And God uses people, yes, to be his tangible hands and feet, and that's what we had. But ultimately, what was really happening as God used his people um, was that he, what he was doing was he was leading us to uh, what the Bible calls the God of all comfort himself. And any person in mourning, they, they don't need solutions. Right? We know that. We know that now at least. What they need is the presence of God. Because the, the Jesus that promises us comfort for, for you and for me, is the Jesus who knows what it's like to weep. He doesn't offer us answers. He, he weeps with us. And truly, there's a love for Jesus that can only come through mourning, through identifying with such pain, with a Savior who also knows pain and those tears. And our pains, they might not go away, right, nor the mourning process really ever end, um, but rather what happens is we get to absorb uh, the hurt and the sorrow, kind of like Jesus does, right? Uh, as we take in the suffering and the hurt, like Jesus took in the suffering and the hurt on a cross, it, what happens is it leads to a new life, a life that is made new and enlarged and it's made that way through growing intimacy and empathy and trust that Jesus, the one who promises us comfort, uh, that he, the one who promises to wipe away every tear is the one who intimately knows the pain of tears. 
and, act, and even willingly embraced even more tears to the point of a cross that he would eventually have the last word over death and grief so that his presence could be the thing that brings this transcendent and unexplainable comfort to you and to me. And I think this is why a, a beloved pastor, Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the Bible, translates the beatitude this way. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. And only then can we be embraced by the one most dear to you. You know, what my mom and family needed wasn't those answers, right? Wasn't a, a, a pithy answer or, an, or me to help them escape from pain. Uh, what they needed was someone to usher in uh, the presence of Jesus. And church, there's really two paths for us this morning. Maybe you're not currently in that place of, of pain and grieving, and that's okay. Um, awesome even. <laughs> um, but what we've learned is that Jesus shows us the way of empathy and that there's clearly, clearly hurt and suffering around us. And that the Apostle Paul, he tells us this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and here it is, right, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So what some of you are being invited into today is to help bring that comfort and presence from the pains God has started to, uh, to heal or to bring comfort in your life. Uh, in, in other words, right, um, blessed are those who have mourned because they can comfort others. That deep abuse addiction, sending off of a loved one, he invites us to be a comforter with him. And blessed are you too, because maybe your past grief will help you empathize with those that are currently grieving. Uh, but I think the path for many more today uh, in this room is we just need to feel the Lord's presence, to, to seek that comfort. Because maybe before today, um, maybe you've, in your hurt, you felt cut off from God, that maybe his silence has felt like absence. Maybe you've just been shutting down, or maybe you just hurt so much uh, that you feel like you just need to be seen. And the invitation today is to mourn in the presence of Jesus. Because he sees you and he sees me. Why? Because we've seen a Jesus crying, um, and maybe for the first time you have the permission to know that, that we can cry too, and grieve. And it's not a sign of your faith being too weak, or, or that you're somehow spiritually immature, but it's actually, what it is, it's a signpost that you're on the right way home. Uh, so for those of us who are here today, that just need to be in the presence uh, of our beloved Jesus right now, uh, we're going to take a moment to sit in it, to, to sit uh, and maybe believe for the first time that Jesus wants to bring you and me and his people comfort right now. So 
what Robbie's going to do, he's going to um, just play some keys for a moment for us to sit uh, and to grieve and maybe to mourn, to pray, or do whatever it is that you need to do in the presence of Jesus. And as we go into that, I just want to offer a short prayer. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, oh, we hurt and we ache. Uh, We've experienced unwanted change and plenty of loss. And we have a simple and short prayer today, which is this. Jesus, would you please comfort me today? We hope you were blessed by this message. Please subscribe to our podcast for access to every episode as they're uploaded. And hey, we'd love to connect with you. Take a next step by filling out our virtual connection card at awakeningchurch.com slash card.